Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is sponsored by Ava Jane's Kitchen Kalima Sea Salt. This salt harvested from the ancient Kalima salt flats in Mexico is super delicious, super crunchy, and free of ocean-borne microplastics. Tastes great on everything from steak to eggs to water to coffee. I personally use it in all my meals and between meals for a bit of a pick-me-up. Just go like this. Very good. And with every purchase, you'll be supporting the show and the Solaneros that work tirelessly to bring you this delicious salt. Check out carnivorecastsalt.com, all one word. That's carnivorecastsalt. Get your first bag of Kalima sea salt absolutely free. Only pay for shipping. Michael Coomer is a former professional sprinter, crossfitter, and founder of MK Supplements. Since moving to the U.S., he's lived and worked in the greater Atlanta area. Michael's goal with his popular blog, michaelcoomer.com, is to share what he learns so that you can spend time on something else. Uh, he's focused on the areas that his readers find most passion around, including diet, fitness, and technology. MK Supplements offers the highest quality dietary supplements on the market and is a small family-owned business. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Scott. Yeah, so um, would love to hear kind of your story and um, what got you into this world of, of animal-based eating and, and maybe um, your athletic background as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in, in Austria, um, spent there most of my life. And, you know, Austria, most people in Austria follow a Mediterranean-influenced diet, I should say. It's not quite as, as bad as the standard American diet, but in the last couple of years it, it has gotten very close to it i think but you know we, we ate relatively well you know just based on you know the knowledge my parents had at the time but we just consumed also a, a relatively high amount of carbohydrates and in particular you know sugars and and what i remember from my dad was that he has always had stomach issues always bloated always you know discomfort and he's done a lot of things trying to figure out, you know, what it, what it might, what might cause those issues and how to fix them. And so he went through, um, you know, a revolution of different dietary styles and, and, and things that he tried, some of which I think were a good idea, others maybe not so much. Um, but unfortunately, he could never find out what was really causing all of those issues. And so he at some point concluded, well, maybe it's, you know, genetics because he's dead. Um, had the same issues, died of stomach cancer, actually, um, below he uh, turned 50. And so, you know, and at some point I started having those issues too, relatively early in my youth, actually. And I just figured, you know, that's just how it is. You know, it, it's normal to feel bloated and gassy and, and, and have pain and all of those things. We obviously didn't know any better. And we had certainly no idea how our, in particular, our dietary lifestyle, you know, would influence how we feel. Um, but fast forward, you know, when I got out of um, high school and, and, and college, I uh, joined the Austrian army. Even before then, I, I started my career as a track and field athlete. And I got re really invested in the fitness aspect 
of of everything. I still had no idea, you know, how diet played all into that, how sleep played into that, how stress management played into that, or alcohol consumption. But I at least knew that you know fitness was important. And so, you know, I, I embarked on my career on my career as a track and field athlete, 100 meter sprinter. And when I joined the army, they actually had a special program for athletes that you know where the army would basically support you and sponsor you to represent the country. And so that's what I did for a couple of years. And um, it was, I want to say, relatively successful for, you know, an Austrian track and field athlete where, you know, track and field is not something that gets supported widely in Austria unless you're a skier or a soccer player. You know, you don't really earn a whole lot of money and don't have a whole lot of support. But I was I was thankful of the Army, you know, doing, um, contributing there a little bit. And so I actually ended up uh, number five in Europe at my age class um, and number 20 in the world. Wow. And I was really, I was relatively fit at the time. And that was in my early 20s. But I still had, you know, I, I wasn't overweight or anything. I was ripped. I was, I was fit and everything. But I was, in hindsight, metabolically not healthy. I just didn't know at the time. And I was injured a lot. I was sick a lot. Um, you know, and all of the things that come along when you don't eat well and don't treat your body well, you know, you get you have issues that can be avoided. And at some point, you know, I decided, well, you know, you can't really make any money in Austria being a track and field athlete. And so I embarked on, on my professional career in, in technology, moved to Switzerland, from Switzerland to the U.S. And once I arrived in the U.S., um, I adopted a standard American diet and way of life. I stopped working out. And... Um, after a couple of years, I didn't really like what I saw in the mirror anymore and figured there was something terribly wrong. And also, you know, my GI issues were just, you know, bothering me on an almost daily basis. And so, um, but again, still at this point, I had no idea what was going on and what might be causing all of this. And so uh, I met my wife at some point and we saw a documentary on Netflix. Um, I think it was bad and nearly dead or something like that. I don't remember the exact title, but it was about one of the core themes was how much added sugars the average American consumes every year. <clears throat> and so we realized, holy moly, we are eating a ton of added sugars. So we have to stop doing that. So we went through our pantry, threw out everything that had added sugars and our pantry was pretty much empty at the time then. And we even realized that something like canned beans or you know foods that you wouldn't even suspect of having added sugars had added sugars. And so that really sparked my curiosity and, you know, trying to figure out okay, what is going on with the food that we eat. And at the same time, we met a, um, I met a guy uh, who became a good friend of mine who was on a paleo diet. And he was not the kind of guy, you know, who would tell you, you know, this is how you should eat and this is how you should live. But, you know, he just did his thing. He looked strange to me by eating or not eating so many things that we would eat. Um, and from time to time, I would ask him, you know, so can you eat this? Can you eat that? You know, the typical question that you get when you eat differently than anyone else. And uh, I remember distinctively, we went, we were walking through Whole Foods and I'm like, so can you eat corn? And he's like, corn, that's the kryptonite of paleo. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, I didn't quite understand what was going on and why, you know, he, he would exclude certain food categories from his diet. Didn't seem to make sense, especially with the you know, with the background of growing up that you need to eat your veggies, you know, you want to eat your rainbow, you know, all of those things that you, that you think are true, but are that just, you know, someone made them up and then everyone thinks they're, they're a fact and that's how you need to eat. And so I just, you know, I did more research around paleo and one day um, 
I woke up and said, you know what? We need to do paleo. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? Starting today, we're going to, no, I'm going to do paleo. I said, I said, I'm going to do paleo because I knew that she would probably not be as enthusiastic as I was at the time. But she was the one cooking for us. So she said, well, what do you mean by you do paleo? If you do paleo, that means I have extra work. So I don't think you're going to do paleo. And that led to the big discussion because I didn't approach it, you know, in the, in the best possible manner. Um, so, you know, we were struggling a little bit in how we, you know, were eating and all. But then at some point she did her own research and like, okay, you know what? This is actually solid. We, we need to get away from, you know, the standard American diet. Paleo is the way to go. And paleo in the beginning for us really meant a piece of steak and maybe some grilled zucchini on the side. That was what we thought of as a paleo-friendly meal. And lo and behold, all my stomach issues went away because I, you know, excluded a lot of different food categories and obviously also individual foods. And, but, you know, as you, you know, do paleo for a while, you figure out, hey, you know, I can can turn this and that into paleo-friendly options. You know, I can, there were even cookbooks that tell you how to bake paleo-friendly you know, cakes and all of that. And so we, you know, explored more and more of how we can make paleo as convenient as possible and as compatible as possible with the outside world. And so we ended up basically eating a bunch of, you know, nut flowers and all those kind of things that are absolutely not so good for you. And that were definitely not good for me because all of my stomach issues came back. And at some point I realized, well, maybe paleo is not, you know, the answer. And so I learned more about nutrition. I'm like, okay, keto, there is this thing called keto. That's really what we have to do because all carbs are bad. So I started doing keto again by myself because my wife wasn't quite on board yet. And I, but my stomach issues, funny enough, didn't go away because at that point I was already trained to use a modern ketogenic diet like we did a modern paleo diet. And, you know, as you probably know you can make everything keto almost by adding you know non-caloric sweeteners and you know nut butters and all those kind of things that are probably not so good for you but they are keto and so keto really helped me to get shredded to perform better at the gym but my gi issues were still there and i'm like i don't understand this because i'm doing you know i'm having the best diet you can possibly have and i'm still having issues and then along the way, I stumbled into you know people like Paul Saladino and and some of the other at that time at least carnivore um, influencers and 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 supporters. And I realized that well, maybe you know it's all of the stuff that I am eating with keto, like low glycemic vegetables and nuts and nut flowers and all of those things that are probably not good for my um, GI health. So I went carnivore for a little bit just to see how that worked. And again, all my issues went away because it was very similar at that point to my initial version of paleo, which means red meat. And maybe, you know, it, it always happened to be something that falls into the least or the, into low toxic vegetable categories like, you know, zucchinis or squashes, something like that. And I figured, well, you know, it's probably all of those plants that I'm eating that are not good for me, that, um, that cause those, those issues. And so by removing them, and then slowly trying to figure out, okay, what works and what doesn't, I figured or I ended up on a on an animal-based diet. And our entire family really uh, is, is following that approach. So we do eat, we're very meat-heavy, predominantly meat from ruminant animals uh, and fats, you know, fats and proteins. And um, But we ex- include some of the least toxic plants, like, you know, de-seeded and peeled um, squashes, especially the kids like them. 
um, sweet fruits. And I've, I've also realized that by doing CrossFit, um, I've, at the time I was doing CrossFit five, six times a week and I would, you know, empty my glycogen stores every single day. And I noticed that by just relying on gluconeogenesis, you know, the body's ability to make glucose from non-carbohydrate sources, it's not, it, it, it works, but it's not incredibly efficient. If you want to hit it again the next day and you're still, you know, in the process of re, uh, your glycogen stores, your performance suffers to a degree. Not that it really mattered because I'm not a professional athlete anymore, but I was still noticeable that my recovery and all of those things were a little bit um, weaker than they are now that I have a little bit more carbs. I'm still on a low-carb diet by definition. I mean, less than 100 grams a day, sometimes no carbs when I don't work out. Uh, but I've noticed that by including some carbs, uh, and you know, we have bees in the backyard, so we have our own honey and all, um, by including some of those carbs that my physical recovery is just a little bit better and I tend to sleep better. And so that's why we went away from, where I went away from pure meat and eggs um, to a more animal-based approach that seems to be working fairly well for, for us. This episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their amazing magnesium breakthrough formula for stress relief and better sleep on a carnivore diet. Try it yourself at www.magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecasts and use code carnivore10 to save and help support the show. For August, they've prepared a special offer for our listeners. You'll be able to buy magnesium and get free bottles of the full line of digestive health products including Masszymes, patented probiotics, and more. Check them out at magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecast, and remember to use carnivore 10. Thank you. Yeah, it seems like you've been very intelligent with your kind of experimentation. Um, and one of the things I picked up on from, from following your content is um, you like to follow the science, and you're very evidence-based. Um, how has that worked you talk about your family eating this way as well. Um, how has it worked for them? How have you noticed it worked for your for your wife and for your kids? Um, it, it has worked very well. I mean, I think all of us are now relatively in tune with our bodies to you know to kind of feel what works and what doesn't. And you know, in the beginning when we transitioned, our daughter grew up at least the first two years, um, you know, without any added sugars, but still with foods that we would not be eating anymore. Like she was eating bread, you know, when she was two. I still have photos that like gives me like the, you know, makes me cringe when I see her chew on a, on a piece of white bread. But at the time we didn't know any better. And, um, and so transitioning her by removing all of those things that she had access to before was more of a struggle than with our son who was born later. He was already born into the keto um, you know, approach, and then it led into the carnivore and animal-based approach. So he had an easier time just following what we are doing. And, you know, overall, we have made the experience, in particular with the kids, that if you don't have certain foods at home that you don't want them to eat, there is no issue. If your pantry is full of stuff that they shouldn't really have, be it candy in the worst-case scenario, or you know, some other things that you don't want them to eat, there's always an argument, why is it there, but I can have it, why are you having it, you know, if they catch you, you know, grab a, you know, a piece of chocolate or whatever the case might be, but by simply not having those things at home, 
there is no discussion. You know, if they say, hey, I want to have something, you go to the pantry, whatever you can find, you can eat. It's as simple as that. Um, so that has removed a lot of the friction that we had in the beginning where we still had stuff at home that we didn't really want them to eat. Um, but overall, uh, especially the younger one, you know, our, our boy was born prematurely at uh, 30 weeks or six days. And he has been on, on a very high fat uh, ketogenic diet, not necessarily because we forced him to, because, but because he gravitated towards those foods. He's always been um, you know, eating more fat than most everyone else. And, and he's been doing really, really well on that. And, and our daughter as well, she is now old enough at nine years to kind of get the connection between how she feels based on what she ate. And so she makes those connections and those choices. Now both really do by themselves. If they go somewhere, you know, they make the right choice because they know if they eat something that they shouldn't, they're going to feel less good. And even though that less good is a little bit, you know, easier to handle in kids, I think, because you can get away with a lot of things when you're young, younger. As you get older, you know, those bad choices are more impactful. But still, they can tell if something is working or if it isn't. And they usually make the right choices. And then I also understand why we're making these choices. Simply because if we go around, you know, and, and see other people, how they how their physical appearance is, how their health is, how, you know, if we go hiking and people, you know, already have to take a break when we are, you know, just getting started, they can pick up on those cues and say, okay, this is why we are doing what we are doing. Yeah, that's so... Um amazing and, and foundational. They're very lucky to have you and I'm sure they're going to be <laughs> extremely healthy. I, well, I, I mean, you know, at some point they'll make their own choices and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking forward to that point where we <laughs> cannot influence their decision-making anymore, but I hope sure. by doing what we do now and by, you know, letting them watch how we do things, because it's one yeah. thing to tell a kid how to do something or how to behave versus showing them you know how it's done and they've been seeing us you know making the right choices and um hopefully that'll carry through and and help them to make the right choices as well yeah mm -hmm. and i'm sure no matter what happens they'll always have that foundation and that knowledge um so yeah. if they do stray away from it they can always come back to it so i think that's super that's right. and um you mentioned crossfitting um and and like how how the diet has you, you mentioned reintroducing some foods some carbs to help with that which i think is fantastic i think that's a great idea um how has crossfit worked for you um as like a movement practice and um you know how how is it aligned with with the way you eat as well um i think it's an excellent um discipline because it aids a combination of different things and it kind of mimics in many ways how, you know, humans are supposed to move, you know, be it lifting heavy stuff, sprinting, you know, explosive kind of things. It's not so much based. I mean, sometimes there is running involved and some other things that I'm not necessarily a fan of, you know, that classic cardio type of movement. Uh, but overall, it's, it's exactly, you know, what I love doing, you know, explosive stuff, high intensity, doesn't have to be super long, doesn't have to take up, you know, half of my day. But if I go and have a, you know, a, a 20 minute or even a 12 minute, you know, high intensity workout that, you know, makes me be on the floor afterwards. And, you know, and, and I've emptied a bunch of glycogen stores and, and, you know, improved my insulin sensitivity and all of those good things in the, in the process. That's exactly what I want. So it's been working out really, really well. Of course, you know, there's when, when, if you're as competitive as I am, there's always that fine line that you 
that you walk between, you know, making lifestyle choices that improve performance versus lifestyle choices that improve um, your health span or longevity. And those are not always the same things, you know, especially if you're, you know, I, I'm sure you, I don't know that you could be a, a professional um, and successful CrossFit athlete, you know, on a ketogenic diet, for example. I think there are some, some things that you, you know, some carbs that you might benefit from to perform even better. Now, does that mean you're healthier just because you're performing better? I would argue not necessarily. Um, but if you're competitive, you know, there's always the, that, that fine line that you have to walk to not get too far off to the performance optimizing side and stay really on the health optimizing side. And it's been not a struggle, but at least something that I, you know, have to reevaluate from time to time to make sure that I stay on, on, on the right path. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I can see how you can easily get um, caught up with CrossFit and being so competitive, <laughs> having that competitive background, um, you can easily take it too far or, or um, hurt yourself if you're not intelligent about it. As with most things, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And and uh, one thing I'm I'm passionate about, and I've seen you post about a few times, is feeding your dog um, more of a a species specific diet, um, and, and kind of a, an animal based, um, diet as well. How, how did you come up with that? And, and how has that been working? I think you have a German shepherd. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it was kind of a, as we learn, as we learn more about how to feed ourselves, you know, once we, um, and, and especially once we started, we've been you know, a small homestead, we have chickens, we have bees, we're going to have rabbits uh, next year, um, you know, to butcher for food. And so as we've gotten more into dealing with animals, you know, we wanted to apply the same principles that we apply to our own diet, you know, feed them what is most appropriate, you know, for the species. And, you know, for chickens, you know, that meant, you know, soy and corn-free and, you know, pasture-raised and, and all of those things, you know, to make it as natural as possible even though they're insectivores uh, technically, and we don't have enough insects, you know, so we have to supplement with some of the um, grains and legumes they would find in nature too, and they eat in nature too, you know, so it's not that they are, that's completely foreign to the species. But the point is once we got, you know, then, then a dog, we said, well, you know, so what do dogs, you know, eat and what have their ancestors eaten for, you know, a very long time? And, and it was relatively clear to us that they are, if not 100% carnivore, uh, very close to being that. I mean, there are some discussions that I've read where scientists say that, well, you know, wolves in nature, they consume the stomach contents of their prey. Others say they are shaking them out so they don't get any of those fermented or partially digested plant matter that them, you know, the, the prey might have eaten. So there are, I, I'm, I'm still open to, to acknowledging that, you know, there might be some plants if prepared, let's say fermented or whatever properly that, you know, dogs could potentially eat. But much like with humans, I don't think that that's necessary to thrive. You know, I think a human can can thrive perfectly on a pure carnivore diet, no need for uh, for any plants. Um, and the same goes with, with dogs. But what was shocking to me was that I, I thought that just if you look at a dog, if you look at the canines, if you look at the digestive tract, if you look at, you know, Everything that makes a dog, I, I thought that there should be no discussion whatsoever that they are they are supposed to eat predominantly meat, bones, organs, fat, you know, all of those things that come from from hunting wild animals. 
But when I called vets around in, in our uh, area here, I called, I think, up 10 vets. And I asked them if they have, if they have any experience with, uh, with raw feeding. And they said, and all of them said, either no, they don't, or no, and they don't recommend it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, say it's dangerous. Are you kidding? You know, and, and even the vet we, we then ended up going to, you know, there are, there are some, most doctors, they don't even bother me. You know, if they, they ask me what he eats, and I say, well, he eats three pounds of, you know, raw, basically ground up whole beaver or whatever it might be that he's getting right now. Um, you know, nobody says anything. Except one doctor, and I'm sure, I mean, just based on the look, she must have been vegan. I, I can't, they have no other explanation. And she said, you know, so what, but what about, you know, all the, the nutrients that, that the dog needs? And I'm like, you mean the ones that are in organs and, you know, the, the meat and the bones and the marrow and, you know, the fat? And she said, no, but, but th those are not going to provide all the nutrients the dog needs. And I'm like, yeah. I was speechless. I'm like, are yeah. you, you actually a, a vet? Are you a real doctor or a doctor? Pepper? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely mind-boggling that you have to even, you know, I mean, with with human doctors, you know, I can see why, you know, that there is still a discussion, you know, that, you know, there, well, I really don't understand, but at least I can, I, I can kind of, you know, if, if I think long enough about it, then I can kind of see where they are coming from and why they would recommend certain dietary um, lifestyles that I, I don't support. But with, with a vet, in, in the case of a canine, it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating in my experience with vets. Um, there's a really excellent book uh, that I recommend to anyone interested in this topic called uh, The Forever Dog um, mm -hmm. by Dr. Karen Becker, um, who's a vet who is um, very, very ancestrally aligned, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and she talks about, uh, the first chapter is about how all vet schools are um, completely funded by the big four food companies, which are also the yeah. big four pet food companies, right. um, like Nestle and Mars. Um, and it's very sad um, because, yeah. uh, you know, when you, you can see it in humans, but it's harder in animals because they can't necessarily tell you how they're feeling. But a right. lot of people's pets are just, you know, having diarrhea all the time, you know, lethargic. People see they're, they're, dogs like scratching their backs on the ground they think oh that's so cute it's usually like a skin condition they have mm -hmm. um and so all, dogs are suffering from all these problems that in my experience can be alleviated with with a proper diet and um yeah when we go to the vet and we we tell them what we feed our dog they say that's dangerous that leads to heart disease all these things um and meanwhile they sell kibble they sell right uh, yeah I wouldn't even call it food, um, but no. they sell bags of kibble. And so it's, it's just, it's very frustrating, but um, yeah, it's amazing when you do feed your dog the right diet, like it improves their personality. They're more sociable. They're more energetic. It's like everything improves so quickly too. Yeah. You get the feedback so fast with the dog. Um, so that's always been really cool. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and even with humans, you know I mean? You know, if if I go to the doctor and they tell me, well, you know, your LDL is high, you know, maybe you should go on a stat. I mean, look, I, mean, I would tell him, you know, look at me, you know, do you think yeah. I need anything? I mean, look at you and look yeah. at me, and you tell me that I'm, you know, I'm sick or at risk of, <laughs> yeah, of, of any type of metabolic disease. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but uh, 
Michael, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about MK Supplements? What, what um, led you to founding that? And um, what, what has that business been all about? Yeah, um, so you know, I think during our keto times already, we started experimenting with uh, organ meats, freeze-dried organ meats. And we, you know, I, I used to buy many of, of, of the supplements from, from the Liver King, you know, from Ancestral Supplements, uh, great products. And, and after a while, I thought, you know, or my wife actually told me that, you know, you need or you should have also a physical product because most of my business has been about publishing content, you know, so it was always digital products, basically. And I was always at the mercy of, you know, Google algorithm changes, you know, they change stuff every day and suddenly something ranks and it doesn't rank anymore. And then, you know, it's always a roller coaster, if you will. And so we figured by having a physical product that could, you know, provide a second income stream so I can, you know, focus more on the long-term strategy of my content production and not be so reliant on, 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 on Google. And, and I thought about, okay, what would be that one supplement that I could see myself not only taking, but also supporting and selling for the rest of my life, you know, because I've taken and used many, many different supplements, you know, throughout my career and, and blogging as part of my reviews. And very often, you know, I start taking something and after a while I'm like, okay, it's not mission critical, so I'm, I'm not going to continue paying for it. But I figured organ meats are so foundational to what I believe is a, you know, a, a species-appropriate diet for humans that I figured, okay, this is something that I can, uh, I don't think I'll ever stop eating organs, you know, and, and, and switching for something else. There is nothing that I know that is more nutrient-dense than organ meats. Uh, maybe some other parts of the animal, but predominantly the organs. And so I figured, okay, let's come up with something that um, that we can support for the rest of our lives where we don't have to realize at some point, okay, you know what, this is actually not aligning with our dietary lifestyle anymore. And so I wanted to do an organ meat supplement, but I also figured that there are already a couple out there, you know, that have like five different organs in there. And and and, and I thought, okay, if you if, if you really look at the micronutrient matrix of the micronutrient composition of all those different organs that, could, that you could add into an organ mix. It's really liver that has that gives you the biggest bang for your buck, followed by heart and spleen, right? So those three together cover, I don't know, probably 95% of your micronutritional needs, as far, at least as far as vitamins and minerals are concerned. There are obviously peptides and coenzymes and cofactors in some of the other organs that are beneficial. But if someone, you know, wants to get ahead of the game and wants to cover the bases, I think those three are give you the biggest bang for your buck. And so we started with with liver. And I wanted to do it a little bit differently because most of the supplements you get on the market are come in plastic bottles. And I'm not a huge fan of plastic, both from a xenoestrogenic perspective as well as from an environmental perspective. We don't need more plastic. So I wanted to do something in glass, glass bottle, metal lid. And also, you know, supplements are not cheap. And so fortunately, you know, because the supplements business is not my primary income stream, I could afford to provide a little bit of a better value. So we said, you know what, we're going to do 45 servings instead of 30. So you get 50% more product for the same price. It comes in glass uh, with a metal lid. And it's the same high quality, you know, 100% grass fed, grass finished, New Zealand uh, organ meat that you would get from, from some of the other great brands that are out there. And so we started with liver. And then the second supplement was um, was kind of a no-brainer because, you know, spleen and heart um, are the two other organs that are super nutrient-dense, especially as far as iron and vitamin C and, 
and selenium are concerned. And so we launched a second supplement, Heart and Spleen. And um, from there, you know, we'll see what, what comes next. But um, those, the, the, that was really the inspiration to, to provide something that's, that's valuable, that's affordable, and that's, in, in fact, I wouldn't even call it a supplement. It's real food, you know, that's just freeze-dried, um, preserves most of the nutrients, and you can use that very conveniently even if you don't like the taste of organs. Which, you know, especially liver, many, many will never get around eating liver, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. It's, it is more of a food and it's one supplement that I, I include daily. Um, either, I either have an organ complex, which has nine different organs or just liver. Um, and I kind of mm -hmm. cycle between those. Um, and Michael, uh, you, you have a really awesome blog, um, which is just your name, <laughs> which is great mm -hmm. website. URL. Um, and, uh, can you talk about some of the other like lifestyle or, um, I hesitate to call them biohack, but kind of habits you, you have, um, around that you find have benefited you? Yeah, freely. I mean, one of the things that I do actually have a, a, a board here, a whiteboard on the side where I keep track of how many minutes a week I cold plunge, I sauna bathe, I expose myself to red light, um, and I do some mobility work. Um, and so cold plunging and sauna bathing, that's something I only started about a year ago or so, but it's really an integral part of my, of my life to either, you know, get more energy in the case of a cold plunge, especially if you do it in the morning, you know, you're awake definitely regardless of how you slept once you get out of the cold water. Um, but also just from a, you know, becoming more resilient. I think we are all way too comfortable and I think being comfortable makes us weak. And so by exposing myself to those hormetic stressors, be it, you know, cold water or be it a hot sauna or even a workout or fasting. I mean, there are many other stressors that you can leverage. Um, I have noticed that I've become significantly more resilient. My immune system is more robust and I just feel better overall. You know, sauna bathing typically then in the afternoon, you know, to relax and, and calm down and, and, and cause that. Um, drop in core temperature after you know the body has cooled down, which helps you know falling asleep quicker and getting into deep sleep quicker. Um, but those are really some of the things that I've that I've um, that I do on a, on a regular basis. Uh, some of the other things that I've experimented with, just from my that's more performance enhancing perspective, is uh, intermittent hypoxic training. And so for the past six weeks, actually, my wife and I have slept in a in an altitude tent. So it's basically a plastic tent uh, on top of our bed that has 15% uh, oxygen. So it's a, like an oxygen compressor that puts in lower oxygen and doesn't let any oxygen from the room in. So we've been sleeping in that. Um, and I also have a, um, a, a, a the same system, really, a similar compressor and everything, but you use it um, as part of a workout. So you work out with the mask on and you breathe in. Um, this is actually... It simulates the altitude of Mount Everest Base Camp. So you're really oh, struggling, wow. you know, exerting yourself and breathing low oxygen, but then it also has the ability to switch over to 90% oxygen. And what that does is, because your body is so oxygen deprived at that point, once you switch to 90%, it pushes oxygenated blood in the tiniest uh, blood vessels that would otherwise not get the amount of blood and uh, blood flow and oxygen. And you can especially feel it in your head you get it's like a high almost where you get suddenly oxygen in your brain 
And it's meant, you know, for people with brain damage and those kind of things and to recover quicker, but it's also just a, you know, it, it's a, helped me a lot to be, to perform better in a gym because my body can carry more oxygen. You create more blood vessels, you carry more oxygen, you have a higher hematocrit and in a red blood cell count and all of those things. So those are some of the other things that I've uh, been experimenting with to see if it can help me with my longevity goals as well as with my you know, physical performance. Yeah, I think those are some excellent habits and I try to incorporate elements of them as well um, as often as I can and have definitely seen some benefits. Um, this has been great, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great to meet you Absolutely. and learn more about your background. Your story is fascinating. Um, where can people find you and, and follow along with you? And, and I'll have links to everything in the show notes as well. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm so, I think I'm most active and yeah, active-ish on, on Instagram. I'm not super active on social media, but Instagram is probably where you can find at least some of the photos and videos and reels that I publish. And then otherwise, my blog is probably the, the best resource to see what's, what I'm testing, what I'm up to, uh, what new products I'm, I'm I'm testing and playing with. And then um, my supplement store is shop.michaelkummer.com. So very easy as well. Awesome. I'll make sure to have links to all that and hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, Michael. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered, or who would you like to hear from in the Carnivore Research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast, or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.